So glad to be with you guys this morning. Um, Again, if we haven't met, my name is Tom. Uh, I am the lead pastor here with Restored Church. My wife, Ebony, and I uh, would love to meet you um, if we haven't met you already. Hopefully your coffee is cold and not hot because it is really hot outside, but either way, uh, stoked to be back, guys. Uh, We are going to continue on this morning in uh, the series we've been calling Jesus Is. We're going through the Gospel of John, and we really want to see Jesus as clearly as we possibly can. Um, The Apostle John, he wrote this Gospel, and he wrote it with the agenda that, that people who read it would believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He wrote it with the agenda that people would believe that Jesus was the Messiah because what we believe has a huge impact on our lives, okay? It's like the software that our life runs on. It has huge implications for every area of our life, what we believe, what we believe to be true. Um, So I'm stoked to jump back in. I've been gone for a couple weeks. My family and I took a vacation. Uh, It was wonderful. Uh, It was really needed, but honestly, we, we like we really missed you guys a lot. We really missed the church. If anything, it just confirmed, like, we really are called to, like, serve you and love you and be loved by you. Um, it is such a privilege to be in this community. But one of the things that we did uh, on our vacation, I, I spent the first half of the vacation with just me and Ebony kind of reconnecting. It was so needed. It was wonderful. And then the second part of the vacation was we took the, the girls camping in the Sierra Nevada mountains. Uh, it was... Simultaneously, it was like amazing and terrible. <laughs> like, children camping, if you've ever taken young kids camping. <laughs> I'm just getting nods from all the dads in the room. You take young kids camping, and like I said, like I watched my daughter catch her first fish, and just the look on her face, and then like 20 minutes later, they're freaking out, and I'm like in the middle of nowhere, you know? So it's like this this kind of balancing act of amazing and really, really tough. But so yeah, so we were camping in the Sierras. And if you ever camped in the Sierras, Sierra, the Sierra, the Sierras, you know that one of the things you have to deal with when you camp in the mountains, you have to deal with bears. Okay. Now people, for whatever reason, probably because of like stuffed animals, but people think that bears are like this cute, fun thing to play with and be around that is a lie from the pit of hell. It is not true. Bears are flipping dangerous, man. Like one swipe. They're like, oh, hey, Herrick, you're drinking coffee. I want that. And they swipe you. You're dead. Like the sharp teeth. They're big. They're, they're not cuddly. They're not safe. They're dangerous. They're wild animals. They're bears, okay? When you camp in the mountains, you've got to deal with bears. And so here's the thing. You have to kind of prep for the bears, okay? You have your campsite, um, and then you're in a campground with other campers and stuff. And what they have now, it's awesome. They have these boxes. They're like lockers. And it's so that you can put all of your food, anything that would attract a bear, you know, anything with a scent, like a deodorant even, like anything that would attract a bear, you can put it in this locker if you don't have a camper, because we were tent camping, right? So you can put it in this locker so that the bear's like, okay, I'm not, I can't get in this locker, so I'm just going to keep, I'm going to keep moving, okay? Because they come through the camp. They come through the campsites. You got to prep for them before you go to bed. And it was, it was crazy because I think we were there five or six days, or maybe five nights, something like that. Every night we had bears. And the reason I know, like when I say we had bears, that means they came through the, camps, the campground, right? And the reason I know is because I would wake up in the middle of the night and I'd kind of hear this faint 
this faint, kind of in the distance, annoying noise, and it was the sound of pots and pans being banged together, right? So it's kind of like the camp thing. You know, if you see the bears, you've got to scare them away, so everyone just lays on the pots and pans and that annoying sound, right? It's like, have you ever seen the movie Jaws? You know, someone's swimming, and they don't see underneath the water, and they're having a great time, and then just faintly, you kind of hear that, that, that the song, you know, the dun-dun, dun-dun, and you know, like, oh, no, get out of the water. Please get out of the water. Something terrible is going to happen, and then it gets louder and louder and louder until the shark comes and attacks, right? I felt that kind of. I dealt with bears camping growing up, but I'd never dealt with bears in a campsite when I had kids, like little girls that I want to protect. You know what I'm saying? And I would, I would say I want to protect my wife, but she would probably protect me. She's the tough one in, in our relationship. But either way, I remember kind of the first couple nights, I'm like, I hear the pans in the distance, and I'm like, okay, maybe that's fine. The bear's totally over there on that side of the campground. And then like a minute later, you kind of hear more pots and pans, and it's a little bit louder and a little bit closer. And then more pots and pans, and it's a little bit louder, a little bit closer. I'm like, okay, the bear's like really close now because the, the neighboring camp, campers are, are banging their pots and pans, you know? And one of the things that you do when bears are in the camp is, you, obviously you do the pots and pans, right? But everyone, if you see the bear, you light up your flashlight and you point it at that bear so that everybody else knows, okay, yeah, you can hear the bears in the campsite, but where is the bear? Because if you've ever been camping in the mountains, you know it's super dark out. It's amazing. You can see the stars. There's no light pollution. But everybody in the campsite, if you see that bear, you aim your flashlight right at the bear so that everybody knows where the bear is. And there was one night that, uh, <laughs> that we were camping, and I had gone to bed. The girls were asleep. Ebony's in the tent. I go into the tent. Um, we were camping with my parents and my brother, and my dad and my brother were sitting around the campfire, just kind of staying up talking while the rest of us were going to sleep. And I hadn't fallen asleep yet, and they were like, oh, the bear's here. Like, the bear's here, kind of thing. And I was like, oh, crap. So I, I unzip, you know, the, the, your window. You know, you unzip your window in your tent, and I look out. And remember how I said people shine the lights on the bears? I was immediately frustrated that they had shined a light on the bear because I saw it. And it was close, and it was massive. And I was like, oh, no, like, uh, my kids are sleeping right next to me. So Ebony, she's so tough, she just, like, lays on top of them. They're, like, sleeping. <laughs> she gets on top of them. And I see this bear, and I'm looking at it, and I could hear, hear my dad and my brother, like, get out of here, trying to be, like, tough, you know, and I'm like, Guys, that's not going to scare a bear. Get out of here. Get, get, get going. And I'm like, no. Like, it's not going to work, dude. But he did. He left. But here's the thing. What, what else would you do? You know what I mean? So I'm not making too much fun of them. They were trying to get him out of the campsite. He was literally in our campsite, okay? Big bear. And when I opened the window to look at him, he was probably, like, Kevin, raise your hand. He was that far away. I'm looking, and, and, and not only was he that close, he's, he's directly facing me. And I'm like, okay. So the, the window's down, I'm like, kind of, just enough so I can still kind of maintain sight on the bear. And, you know, they're scaring him away. All these flashlights from all these different angles, you know, are on this bear. And he starts walking towards our tent. And I'm like, all right. Here it goes. Like, this is, I'm going to have to wrestle a bear like King David. This is going down. Uh, (laughs) So the bear comes. And if you can imagine, like, 
I'm looking at him this way. He comes, and by, the closer he gets, I just rolled up. I just rolled up. <laughs> Not that it's going to do anything. It's nylon. I roll up. All right, I zip up the, the, the window, and he, he walks. And like I said, there's um, all these lights on him, right? The flashlights. He walks towards the back of our tent. And if you've ever seen, if you've ever been in a tent, whenever there's any source of light outside of it, it just, it lights everything up. It's like it could be a, a mile and a half down the road, someone had someone's headlights, and it comes into your tent and it just illuminates. It's kind of crazy. So all that being said, the bear walks directly towards our tent and then right to the back of our tent where our heads would be sleeping. And because there's all these lights on it, we see the silhouette of the bear in the tent. And it wasn't just his body, it was his head. So you could literally see his snout. You could see everything. It was like really creepy. But thank God the bear just kept going and obviously I'm alive and we're fine. But here's the thing. Yeah, Mark scared him away. Here's the thing. As much as I I wish they hadn't shown those lights on the bear because I didn't want to see it, that's the thing about light in such a dark place, right? Is it exposes things. And in our case, it exposed the bear, But light in general, what it does is it reveals things. I mean, we know this, right? Darkness is simply the absence of light. So when you bring light, when you shine light into a dark place, it exposes things, it reveals things to us. It reveals to us what's really there. Me, I didn't want to know what was really there. I mean, it would have made it easier, I think, for my psychology, my brain. Light reveals what's really there. In a sense, light kind of tells us the truth, uh, in today's message, in today's passage, actually, Jesus is actually going to make a claim to be a light. Okay, he's, he's going to make a claim to be a light that came into the world to reveal some very, very important things to us. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip to John chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, um, the words will be on the screen. Some of you, I think your Bible probably glows because it has a screen on it. That's fine. I'm going to be in the, in the ESV translation this morning. I preach out of the ESV almost exclusively. There's, there's times when I dip out of it, but it's the primary t- uh, translation that I used to preach out of. But go ahead and flip to John chapter 3. Um, today's passage is going to start with arguably the most famous verse in the New Testament. Okay, if you've ever been to like a sporting event, you'll see someone holding up a sign behind the dugout or a sign on the sidelines, John 3.16. That's where we're starting, Okay. Go ahead and flip there, John chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 16. I'm going to pray for us quickly before we jump into the scriptures, and we'll get going, okay? Father in heaven, thank you that you love us. Um, Thank you that we have the scriptures where you reveal yourself to us. Um, So our desire, Holy Spirit, is that you would enlighten us more and more to what you're really like. Everybody seems to have an opinion about everything nowadays. Everybody seems to to kind of share that opinion with somewhat of an authority. Our desire is that we would be people who submit to the authority of Scripture and that you would use our, um, our submission to your word to bless us with an understanding of who you're like, of what you're like, of who you are, God. So I pray for even my mouth right now. I want to honor these precious people. Um, Lord, I pray that you would keep me from saying anything that goes against what your desire is this morning, what you want to accomplish. Um, We delightfully submit to you because you're good, Lord Jesus. Bless us in your holy name. Amen. 
Okay, so John chapter 3, starting in verse 16. Now, really quickly, a little bit of background. Uh, Jesus here, he's having a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. Okay, uh, if you guys remember a couple weeks ago, Herrick preached a wonderful, pre- uh, wonderful sermon. He, his sermon was literally the first half of this conversation with this man, Nicodemus. Okay, we're going to finish off that conversation today. Um, if you do have a printed Bible, chances are all these verses are going to be in red um, because every single word came out of the mouth of Jesus. Okay, so listen closely here. We're going to read this. John 3.16, I'm going to read verses 16 through 21, okay? Keep in mind, these are the words of Jesus, okay? This is what he says, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light but does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Okay, so this morning, I mean, there's a lot here. Every time we preach, we're going to go through a handful of passages. There's so much here. I could spend a lot of time, but I'm not going to. I'm going to talk about three things, okay? This morning, I'm going to talk about God's love, God's motive, and God's power, okay? If you're taking notes, write those down. We're going to talk about God's love. We're going to talk about God's motive, and we're going to talk about God's power, okay? Let's talk about God's love. Uh, I think we would all agree love is something that is celebrated in practically every culture. Love is something that's appreciated in practically, or in practically every culture. But the problem is love isn't always defined the same way cross-culturally. I mean, you could talk to several different people and you'll get several different definitions of what love is because love can mean different things to different people. But the cool thing is is that Jesus tells us a ton about love here. And specifically, Jesus tells us a lot about how God defines love. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave Okay, there's another way that you could kind of translate that. And actually, other Bible translations that are accurate and and viable and amazing, they translate that same thing in the original Greek. They translate it this way. For God loved the world in this way that he gave. Or, this is how God loved the world. Are you tracking with me? Okay. You see, love, like, it definitely involves feelings. Okay? But it's more than that. It's more than just feelings. I remember, um, God, this was years ago. I remember counseling a young woman, um, and she was wondering, she's like, should I break up with my boyfriend? And, and I remember asking her, I'm like, hey, is he, like, unkind to you? Is he rude to you? Does he not honor you? Like, what's the deal? What's, what's going on? You guys, were, you, know, you guys seem to really enjoy each other. And, and she said, no, he's great. He's wonderful. Um, but when we first met... Like, I had these butterflies. And she was describing the way that she had these butterflies whenever she was around him. And, and then she said, 
um, she said, the butterflies are gone. And, and I, the butterflies are gone. I don't know if I love him anymore. Love for the Christian, guys, it's, it's, it's more than a feeling, okay? Feelings are part of it, but it's, it's more than that. It's more than a feeling. For God so loved the world that he gave, okay? Love always leads to action. Love without action is incomplete. Love always leads to action. And the result of love is always, hear me say this, the result of love is always giving of some sort, okay? It's always giving of some sort. Real love always results in sacrifice, giving something, okay? The giver always has to sacrifice something to give the gift. You tracking with me? Okay. It always results in sacrifice. But here's the thing. There's a variable involved in this, okay? If love results in giving something, stay with me here, okay? If love always results in giving something, then the amount of love, track with me, the amount of love is determined by what is given, okay? By what is sacrificed. So, follow me for a second. I love my wife. I love Ebony, okay? I also love coffee. I, li- I love it. It's amazing, okay? I love them both. Here's the thing. I have the privilege of being married to her. Um, we've been married, I don't even, I can't do the math, but we've been married since 2009, so nine years something. I love her, okay? I, let me just quickly say this too. Like, I think the church kind of elevates marriage into something that it shouldn't be. Marriage is not the pinnacle of spiritual maturity. It's not, okay? Somebody who isn't married is no less mature or valuable in the kingdom of God than somebody who is, okay? Oftentimes, I've witnessed the church treat people who aren't married as though they're like second class almost, like they're not quite as mature, they don't quite have things as figured out. Guys, Jesus wasn't married, okay? The apostle Paul wasn't married. Like I think oftentimes we elevate marriage. Marriage is a gift, man. Marriage is a gift from the Lord. It's amazing. Singleness is a gift from the Lord. It's amazing. Both have pros and both have cons, okay? I just wanted to say that. I think it's important. Either way, I'm married to Ebony. I love her, Okay? And the thing about marriage is what? To become one. It's this beautiful picture of sacrifice, really. I mean, marriage literally means like I, for us, for two to become one, like I, I have to give away, I, not have to, I choose, I covenant to give away part of my freedom, part of my independence. If two, you have two independent people becoming one. So to be married means I, I give away, I sacrifice part of my freedom. And the way that plays out is like, I don't come home as, I don't come home as late as I want to. Like when I was in college, I just did whatever I wanted. Like, okay, I'm going to come home late. I'm going I'm to do what I want. I'm gonna, if I, if I want to spend money, I spend money. Like, I do, I do essentially what I want as long as, obviously I want to follow Jesus. But like, now that I'm married, I, I don't just do whatever I want. Why? Because I love my wife. Because I love her. I, I sacrifice part of my freedom, be, and that's a, that's a picture of how much I love her, okay? Like, here's the thing. I would not be willing to sacrifice my freedom for coffee. I love it. It matters to me. 
I enjoy coffee. I love coffee, but I'm not going to sacrifice my freedom for it, right? You could say, I love Ebony more, like I have more love for her than I have love for coffee, okay? Because I'm willing to sacrifice something of greater value to me for her than I would for coffee. Are you following me? I know I'm like beating this in. I just want to make sure you guys are quiet this morning. I want to make sure you're understanding what I'm saying. Okay. So the amount of love that you have for something or for someone is determined by what you're willing to sacrifice for them. Okay. I'm totally down to sacrifice time in the morning to make my pour over coffee. Absolutely. Like I'm even willing to sacrifice money to have like Marshall or, or Jenna make me a wonderful cortado at Augie's. But I'm not willing to sacrifice my freedom. Okay? The amount of love you have is determined by what you're willing to sacrifice for what you're willing to give. Now, Jesus, he says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Now, do you know what it means that Jesus is the Son of God? I want to read you um, a quote here. I think we can throw it on the screen here. There's this theologian, Andreas Kostenberger. I believe he's German. He's commenting on this passage. Okay, and here's what he says. He says, quote, Jesus is the Son of God, not in the sense of being created or born, but in the sense of being a son who is exactly like his father in all attributes and in the sense of having a father-son relationship with God the Father. The Greek word underlying only, as in, you know, God gave his only son, the Greek word there underlying only is monogenes, monogenes. It means one of a kind or unique So God so loved the world that he was willing to sacrifice the most unique, most precious, most valuable thing in the entire universe. Like, that's intense. I remember when I was growing up, um, I I, I played in bands and I was like, I was a musician and I saved up money and I bought really good gear. Okay, guitars and amps and effects and pedals and and I remember there was one amplifier specifically that like, I remember when I bought it and I was like, this is the most precious thing to me in the entire world. I remember thinking like, if I have to sell this, if like I get in a tight financial situation, maybe I just won't eat. I'm not going to sell this thing. It was so precious to me. I couldn't give it up. It was an amplifier. It's crazy. I think back now and I'm like, what was I thinking? But either way, like God, Jesus being the son of God, he was a unique, the most precious, valuable thing in the entire universe and God's willing to sacrifice that. It's intense, right? And here's the thing too. God giving the Son of God, it's not convenient. It's not convenient at all. I mean, it's relatively easy easy to give things away if it's convenient. It really is. Okay, if you have like a dollar in your pocket and someone needs to borrow it, yeah, I got a dollar, like no big deal. It's convenient, no problem, give it away. But to sacrifice, man, that's different. If we're real, that is different. Rarely is it convenient to actually love, okay? If the outcome of love is giving, is sacrificing, it's it's rarely convenient to actually love. Guys, God's giving is not convenient God the Father gave what was most precious to him. 
like the most precious thing. It wasn't convenient. And do this too, like consider what God the Father gave Jesus over to. Like it says he gave Jesus to the world, okay? When it says the world, he gave him to people, okay? The entire planet, but the world. He gave him to people. I remember one time when I was in college, um, uh, I had a friend in high school, and he grew up in the same neighborhood as me. So I, I knew where he lived. Like he lived two streets over and he lived there his whole life, just like I did in, our, in that neighborhood. And I remember there had been probably four or five years since we'd seen each other in high school. And he was, he was in town. Or actually, no, it wasn't even that he was in town. He, I knew he never left. And he goes, he kind of, you know, sent the thing out about, hey, I'm having a house party. Would love to see people, da, 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 da. So, um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm planning on going to this house party. So I go to the house. I know exactly where it is. And I pull up, and uh, there's clearly a party going on. So what you do is you just walk in, right? You're not going to knock on the door. It's too loud. No one's going to hear. So I just walk in. I walk in, and immediately every eye turns to me, and it's clear they don't recognize me, and I don't recognize them. And it's like, you've ever seen in, like, the movies where, like, something happens, and, like, the record scratches, and the music stops, and everyone's like, that's exactly what it was like. It felt so awkward. I'm standing there. I, I, I had already entered the house. So it wasn't just like I, I looked. I opened the door and I'm in. And everyone is looking at me like, what are you, who are you and what are you doing here? It was so clear. Like I wasn't welcome. I wasn't invited because I was in the wrong house. Okay. For whatever reason, they had moved down the street, same street, but that was the house he grew up in, and I walked in thinking, there's a party. So what are the chances, come on, what are the chances that on the same street, like uh, the same night, a party going on at these two locations? I didn't know he moved. I walk into the house. I clearly wasn't invited. I wasn't welcome. People were not happy that I was there. So I just said sorry, and I left and actually found the party. But here's why, the reason I tell you that story is I want you to imagine walking into a room like that. Like, imagine if it was this room. You walk in the double doors, you walk into this room, and you know you're not welcome. You know you weren't really invited. But let's take it a step further. Imagine you walk into a room like this, and nobody likes you. Like, in fact, there's like a, there's like a, there's a hatred towards you. Imagine n- nobody wants you there. In fact, they actually want you dead. They want to kill you. There's that level of hatred. Like, imagine what that would be like for you. Imagine what that would feel like. Guys, Jesus came into an entire planet full of people who hated him, who rejected him, who disobeyed him, who wanted nothing to do with him, an entire planet who wanted him dead. That's what God the Father gave Jesus over to. The most precious in the universe, the most unique, gave him over to the world. A planet full of people who rejected him, disobeyed him, didn't want anything to do with him. In fact, they wanted him dead. 
Father gave Jesus the Son over to the world and ultimately to the cross. Let's talk about why. My second point, God's motive. I'll go quicker. Um, Let's see, look back in verse uh, 17. Verse 17 tells us why God gave his Son. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, so not to condemn, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Okay, then in the following verse, verse 18, Jesus makes it clear that the world was already condemned. Okay, the world had already rejected God, had already disobeyed God, right? The world's already condemned. So Jesus, he came into a fallen world. Okay, a world full of sin, full of people who rejected him, right? It was a world that was already condemned. Okay, and then Jesus says he came into that world with the motive to save it. Okay, not to condemn it, it was already condemned. So here's the thing. The Bible says that not only did Jesus come to earth to live the perfect life that you and I never could, okay, to die the death that you and I deserve in our place, not only did Jesus come to save people from their sin, but he actually rose from the dead when they killed him. Okay, he rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven, and then he said, I'll be back. It's like the Terminator. He literally said, I'll be back. Only when he comes back the second time, his mission will be very different. I mean, Jesus is clear. His first mission is he came to save, not to condemn. To offer his blood to pay the debt of our sin instead of our blood for the debt of our sin. But his next mission, his second coming has a very different agenda. The first mission was to save. The second mission will be to judge. But to judge what? Right? In Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus, he uses language of separating. I'm going to read this to you, a couple verses here. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 33. This is the words of Jesus. He says this, when the Son of Man, that's Jesus, when Jesus, when he comes in his glory, he's referring to his second coming here, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, okay, every person, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Okay, who are the sheep, who are the goats? The sheep are associated with those who are led by Jesus. Okay, he's the great shepherd, right? The sheep are those that are part of his flock. The goats, on the other hand, are associated with not being a part of his flock. Okay, so basically what we have here, sheep are Christians, goats are people who don't want to be a Christian, okay? So Jesus says his first coming is to save Okay, to save a condemned world of people who have said, nope, I'll do things my way, not your way. You're not king, I'm king. Okay, his first, his first coming is to, to save. His second coming is to judge, to, shepherd, to separate the sheep from the goats. Okay, so then, what determines, what makes a, a sheep and what makes a goat? Like what determines what is what? Look back at verse uh, 16. Look back at John, John 3.16. It tells us. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes. 
Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Okay? Most famous verse in the New Testament. Now, we've talked about this before, so this is going to be review for many of you, but it's really important that we talk about it. Um, We need to talk about what the Bible means when it talks about belief. What is biblical belief? Okay? The word belief in its original Greek is the word pistiwo. Okay? And what that word means is it means to trust or to put your faith in something. Okay? That's what that word actually means. Okay? So biblical belief is not simply acknowledging that something is true. Okay? It includes that. It absolutely includes that. But it takes it a step further. Uh, James, the book of James, it tells us that even the demons, quote, believe, right? Even the demons acknowledge that Jesus is God. Even the demons, they, they acknowledge that Jesus came to earth to die for the sins of man. So they acknowledge that, that it's true. But the demons aren't his sheep. They're not sheep. They're not part of his flock. Why? Because their faith, their trust is not in him. You following me with this? This is really important. When the Bible speaks of belief, it does not mean to just acknowledge that something is true. It means to trust. It means to put your faith in Jesus and what he says to be true and what his cla- who, who he claims to be and what he did. Okay? So how do you know if you're actually trusting in Jesus? That's an important question. How do you know you're actually trusting him? How do you know if you're truly putting your faith in Jesus? Simply put, you obey him. You obey him. Like, that's what makes Christianity so unique, okay? Your obedience does not earn you God's love. Like every other religion in the entire world, it teaches the opposite. So this is what makes Christianity very, very unique, okay? Every religion teaches the opposite. Every other religion teaches that obeying a divine being earns you their love and blessing. Okay? But Christianity says you were condemned. Like you rejected God. Okay? But God graciously offers you his love. Remember, God's love the world that he gave. The world was already condemned. Right? So obedience, therefore, is a result of receiving God's love. Okay? Listen, the Christian doesn't obey to receive God's love. Okay? The Christian obeys as a result of receiving a love they do not deserve. Okay, you might be thinking, like, what's the difference here? I'm confused. Like, one is motivated by fear. The other is motivated by grace. Grace is the most powerful force in the entire universe. Other religions will say things like, you know, I don't want to be punished by God, so I'm going to obey. That's fear, okay? The Christian says, I reject and disobey God, but he loves me anyway. So I gladly obey him because he's been so incredibly gracious to me. We don't obey to get the love. We obey because it's already been given and it's undeserved. Are you following me with this? That's Christianity. Proper obedience is a response. So, how do you know if you are believing him? 
How do you know if you are trusting him? How do you know if you're actually receiving his love that he's trying to give to you? You obey him. You obey him. That means that when we disobey God, we are rejecting him. Like, we're rejecting his love. Guys, like, listen to me. That's what sin is. Sin is rejecting the love of God. It's it's a declaration that God isn't trustworthy. Like, why obey someone who isn't trustworthy? It's the same accusation that Satan makes in the Garden of Eden. Are you guys remember the Genesis, what is it, 2? Genesis 3? God's not trustworthy. That's the accusation. So, to believe is to trust. And trusting God results in obeying God. Let's, Let's keep moving. Okay, look back at verse 19. It says this, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. That's Jesus, right? The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Okay, so Jesus, he uses... Uh, language of light and darkness here, okay? Now, when he's describing the light, we talked about this, the light is Jesus, right? The darkness is what is in opposition to the light. The, the darkness is sin, okay? So you have Jesus, the light, darkness, the sin. Now, remember, for God so loved the world that he gave, right? Because you give yourself to what you love. Remember, we talked about this. Love is incomplete without action, Love is your love you sacrifice, you give, right? You give yourself to what you love. And Jesus says here that people loved the darkness. And it's so easy to go through life and be blind. It's so easy to not be self-aware. I'm so grateful for this woman because I'm one of the most I should say I'm one of the least self-aware people I know. And she does a really good job of letting me know exactly where I'm, where I'm at. Some of you have yet to truly understand what you actually love. Some of you guys are regularly giving yourself to porn. You give yourself to what you love. Some of you give yourself to money. You give yourself to what you love. The Apostle Paul said that, mon- I'm sorry, that the love of money, right, is the root of all kinds of evil. I told you about my vacation, the first week of my vacation. Like, honestly, dude, I feel a little bit of shame. I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to confess to you, like, I gave myself to food that first week of our vacation. And it's, that's funny. It's like the sin that's like, ha, huh, gluttony, no big deal. No, Jesus died for it. Like, I, I overate most nights. Because we were at this resort where, like, it didn't cost extra. All the, you, they gave you a menu, there's no prices on it. Okay, I'll have the Caesar salad and the soup. And I'll have the steak and throw the pasta in there, too. And I'll actually, yeah, I'll have the apple pie as well, yeah. Bring it. Like, I sinfully ate You give yourself to what you love. Some of you give yourself to social media. 
if we could clock in the hours that we spend staring at a screen, a dis- disattached to reality, I'm just as guilty, by the way. I'm not condemning you. I'm like with you in this, okay? I need Jesus' blood probably more than all of you. Some of you give yourself to social media, but you give yourself to what you love. My friend, what do you give yourself to? Like, you know yourself better than you think you do. But I think oftentimes we like to be blind to certain parts of our heart, certain parts of our lives. What do you give yourself to? What do you actually love? Now, some of you, this just fires me up, some of you love the church. Some of you love the church. Like, I've had the privilege, we've had the privilege of witnessing God form this new family. And I've witnessed many of you give yourself to this community sacrificially, consistently. It's been like such a beautiful thing to witness. I'm so, so blessed to be part of this community. But my friend, what do you give yourself to? What do you actually love? You need to know that about yourself. Okay, in these verses, Jesus says, those who love the darkness, that's the sin, right? They hate the light and they avoid it. So, Christian in the room, if you follow Jesus, right? Following Jesus, it means that you do what he would do, but it also means that you're going to be treated the way that he was treated for doing it. Like, if you follow Jesus, you're going to be hated. If you follow Jesus, you're going to be avoided. It might not be like overtly, okay? There might not be rallies of people being like, I hate Colton because he's a Christian. Like, that's not what I'm talking about, okay? It might not be overtly, but it will happen, okay? Old friends will stay away. You won't get the invite. People will think and talk poorly about you unless... Unless, of course, you dim your light. Unless, of course, you turn it off. Unless you go dark. Guys, I share this. Like, I genuinely know what it feels like. I know what it's like to have people that I love avoid me. I know what it's like to have people that I genuinely care so deeply about talk poorly about me because I follow Jesus. I didn't grow up in the church. God saved me when I was like 18. And he transformed my life. I'm not the guy who has the squeaky clean record. I'm the one who needs his grace. But I know what it's like to have people go, you're not the same person anymore. See ya. And it hurts. It's painful. I know what it feels like to be tempted in those circumstances to dim my light to conform to the darkness. Christian in the room, are there people in your life that you dim your light around? I know it's hard. I know it's tempting sometimes. Trust me. But are there people in your life that you dim your light around? Maybe even turn it off completely. Coworkers, neighbors, family, friends, Is there anybody in your life that would be surprised or confused to learn that you follow Jesus? 
Or is there anyone in your life that you just simply don't want to know? I've had those. I'm like, ah, I'm not ready to tell this guy that I follow Jesus. I remember that like about 10 years ago. There was a handful of people in my life. I'm like, I can't tell them. I can't tell them. The truth is at times, all of us, we flirt with the darkness, man. Jesus, right? He gives himself. He gave himself to an already condemned world, a world full of people who rejected him, who hated the light. Guys, that includes you. That includes me. We're part of the world. So here's what I want you to do. I know I'm going long this morning, but I think it's really important. Just stay with me, okay? I want you to think about your story. If you're anything like me, I have a really hard time not just doing what is in front of me. But what I want you to do is as much as you can, give yourself to thinking back. I want you to consider your story for just a moment, okay? I want you to think about specifically the ways that you've hurt people. We all have. If you've spent 30 seconds with someone, chances are, you know, I shouldn't say 30 seconds, but if, you've, if you have any relationships in your life, the chances are you've hurt someone. I want you to think about this, okay? I want you to think about your lowest moments. I want you to think about the things that you are least proud of, the things that you don't want the people in this room to know about you. I have plenty of them. But here's the thing. If you're a Christian, I guarantee that your story is marked by God's amazing grace towards you. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Grace is, if you're late on your rent, your landlord, grace isn't leniency, right? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. If you're late on your rent and your landlord says, hey, don't worry about it, that's lenient. If you're late on your rent and your landlord says, you know what, don't worry about the, the, your rent payment, actually here's the house, that's Grace. You see the difference? For some of you, you don't want to bring these things back to your mind because you think they belong in the dark. That's where you want them. Okay? I've lived that way. It's painful. And it takes a lot of work to keep that stuff in the dark. It really, really does. But here's the thing, guys. You need to know the truth of what the Apostle John is, 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 is saying here, what Jesus is saying through John's penned words. It's seriously incredible. It's really good news, okay? Guys, God is unstoppable. Listen to me. He's unstoppable. God can save anyone. Like, no one is too far gone. Nobody. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that what? Whoever. Whoever believes. Do you know what that means? Whoever believes. Guys, there's no situation that God can't redeem. None. You guys know who Jeffrey Dahmer is? Some of you have heard this before. If you don't know who Jeffrey Dahmer is, is there any really young kids in the room? Okay, we're good. Listen, Jeffrey Dahmer was like a serial killer from the early 90s, okay? The dude murdered 17 men, okay? He murdered them, then he had sex with them, he chopped up their bodies, and then he ate them in that order, like, I, my stomach, I, even just now, I'm like, oh, God. That's, that's gnarly. That's crazy, okay? What's crazier is there have been numerous reports that before he died in, pris- in prison that he became a Christian. That he put his trust in the blood of Jesus to cover his gnarly sins, to save him. Like, how does that make you feel? Jeffrey Dahmer could be in heaven with Jesus. 
Listen, if that offends you, that's probably a good thing. It's probably a good thing because it means you're starting to understand how scandalous God's grace is and why Jesus was so hated. Like, why he was murdered for preaching that everybody needs the grace of God. I don't care who you are, you need the grace of God. And that it's available to whoever believes. Even the really bad people. Like me. God, most of you guys know the Apostle Paul story, right? <clears throat> the Apostle Paul, like, he oversaw the murder of Christians. The dude literally hunted people because they followed Jesus. Okay, King David, right? Hero, quote-unquote, hero of the faith. King David has an affair with his friend's wife, and then he murders him to cover it up. Father of the faith, Abraham. Abraham, he offers his wife, Sarah, to sex slavery. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Guys, that whoever, it means Jeffrey Dahmer, it means Apostle Paul, it means King David, it means Abraham, it means me, and it also means you. No matter what you've done, no matter what condition your life is in today, God has the power to save you, to rescue you from the darkness. Guys, the gospel's offensive. The gospel's offensive. It's so offensive that for thousands of years, friends, people who preach it have been hated. They've been killed for it. Jesus hated and killed. Paul hated and killed. Peter hated and killed. The apostle John who penned this gospel account hated and killed and generation after generation of Christian down the line murdered for the gospel message of radical grace that a serial killer like Jeffrey Dahmer if he puts his trust in Jesus that his sins are forgiven. I know I'm going long. Ben, you guys can come on up. I'm going to close with this. There's a reason why John 3.16 is like the most famous verse in the New Testament, guys. These verses are precious. Stay with me. Stay with me. These verses are precious because God can save anyone. When Jesus said, for God so loved the world, he couldn't have made a more radical statement, man. He was saying that God loves those who don't love him. I tend to love people who make me feel loved. If love is giving and sacrifice, if it's incomplete without that, I tend to love people who make me feel loved. I'm so different than God, friends. These precious verses, they tell us that God loves those who don't love him. Guys, most of the time, that's you and me. And you give yourself to what you love, right? You give yourself to what you love, and we give our th- ourselves to all sorts of other things. Romans, ver- or I'm sorry, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, while we were in darkness, he didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up. 
He loves those who don't love him. In this passage, uh, Jesus tells us the truth, man. In this passage, Jesus tells us the truth. He shines a light on those of us in the darkness, right? He enlightens us to the reality of the bear of sin that prowls through the campground of our heart. He tells us the truth about ourselves. He tells us the truth about our sin, about our need for forgiveness, our need for grace. But he also tells us the truth about God. (sighs) The incredible news that God loves those who don't love him. And that love that he gives us, that love is more powerful than you can ever imagine, my friend. God has the power to save anyone. Listen to me, anyone at any time. He's God. He has the power to redeem even the worst sinner. He has the power to redeem even the worst circumstance. I firmly believe and I'm convinced that there are a handful of us in the room that are struggling. Church, Church gatherings are usually the place where you put the fake face on, you know? But just to be frank, you can criticize me, but that's BS. It really is. Oftentimes, people who live in a broken world experience brokenness. But God has the power to redeem even the worst circumstances. Oh. We're going through this series, right? Jesus is trying to figure out, get clarity on, on who Jesus is, what he is, more about him. Friends, Jesus is the savior of the world, okay? The world, the, the condemned ones, God can redeem anything, anything. Nothing is off limits, not you, not me. Because for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Friends, let the radical love of God give you hope this morning, please. Please. Let it restore your peace. Let it strengthen your hope. Let me pray for us. Will you stand if you're able? I want to pray. Thank you guys for being gracious with me. I went like way long this morning. Um, Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace that is so ridiculous, like, Um, It's so foreign to us, but I thank you that as we receive that with which we don't deserve, and that is your love and your faithfulness and your kindness, that it transforms us and enables us and empowers us to extend that to the world around us. So my prayer this morning um, isn't uh, isn't that people would feel... um, bad about themselves. I want everyone in the room to feel the holiness of God, the weight of your glory. But I also, Spirit of God, I pray and I ask you to restore our hope that you have the power to redeem anything, like absolutely anything. And not only do you have the power to redeem anything, but you use that authority and that power for the good of those who don't love you. That's me. Like, oh, that's such good news. Like, let the good news of the gospel, the offensive, scandalous good news of the gospel of Jesus be something that doesn't just stay in our head potentially, but actually moves to our heart that empowers us to be men and women who live radically gracious lives. 
There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the gospel of Jesus. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use your power to transform us and restore our hope and redirect it back to you this morning. I pray freedom over this room in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.